Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1170, air date February 18th, 2023. Tom, how are you doing? How's how's uh, Hawaii? Pretty good. How's, um, how's everything going there? Everything's going pretty well. It's been pretty pretty wet and windy lately, though, uh-huh. which is not all that bad, rather that than freezing cold. Yeah, but it's nice out. You're in Kauai, right, Tom? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am. Hey, I had a, you know, I like coming on these Thursday afternoon because sometimes we get into discussions about things and something, you know, being involved in, in the environment, you know, running Reef Guardians Hawaii and stuff and being so closely connected with nature, I began to do some some work this week on the subject of um, what I call ocean intelligence. Now, being that you are so deeply into systems and understanding all the metabolic pathways and things of that nature, and when we begin to look at like epigenetics and the fast, you know, which is a fascinating feel, I'd like to hear your take. And this might be, you know, this is just your own personal take on what and how do you look at from a science as a scientist, as I feel that there's a natural intelligence that is involved in nature, just the way all these systems weave together. Um, what, what What's your take on that? You know, being born, you know, in India, and what you've been exposed to, I'm sure you've got a m- many different viewpoints. Um, so Tom, I gave a talk, and I'll summarize it a few few days ago called the next scientific revolution. So let me, Okay. so you're asking a very, very deep question. I actually have an answer for it. Um, so what's happened, what you're talking about is sort of this interconnectedness you see in these systems, you know? So let me just take a step back and I'll, um, it, it's good to go over this again, because it was, it, I, I figured out a way to articulate. Let me try again. So if you look at the universe, what we know, okay, just right. quote unquote, the universe, right? So human beings have been trying to understand this thing called the universe, how it works, right? So, um, and everyone's articulated in different ways, right? Um, in the modern world, when people looked at the universe, and it really started in 1686 with the publishing of Newton's Principia, what came to be was that the universe is can be predicted, okay? That it has a order to it, that it's deterministic, right? And that came directly out of Newton's discovery of, of the laws of motion. This is a very important time, 1686, I think April 1686, when he presented to the Royal Society, because he he said, look, I have discovered these laws that can predict that if I drop a ball, exactly how fast it'll drop and when it'll hit the ground. I can predict exactly where the sun will be at any point in the universe, where the planets will be, right? With precision. So think about what this meant in a, in a grand philosophical level. This means that what Newton was saying or what the Newton's laws of motion revealed were that the entire, all of existence, because it's particles, mass moving in a direction of motion, you could predict the motion of everything, right? Not only right. could you predict the motion of where the sun will be, where where it is today, but where it will be 10 years from now to the exact point. And you could also predict where the sun was 10 years ago or the earth was. So think about what I'm saying. So if I took a line, that means I could predict time of the motion of an object into the future. And the, in fact, the motion of the object into the past. That means time goes backward and forward. You follow? From a Okay. So for 400 years, what evolved out of that scientific view of the world was that, hey, the world is a clock. 
clock. I can predict the motion of things. Everything is organized. Oh, wow. The speed of light is a particular number. Planck's constant. Think about what this means. This means like, so now people say, oh, is the world just a simulation? Because if everything is so perfect, then could you predict where Bob is going to be tomorrow? Because he's also made up of a mass of particles that started at a big bang and they're moving, right? And theoretically, you could argue yes. But what this comes to is saying that the universe is highly predictable and it's very deterministic. Now, this can lead philosophically to an unfortunate conclusion where you say, wow, that means we're just in a clock, a machine. And therefore, am I not part of that machine? Is my destiny also predictable, right? And so that could lead into a view of fatality where people call, you know, fate. Now, remember when Newton discovered these laws, he was in the time of the 16th, 17th century where the politics were kings and lords ran the world. There were caste systems. So think about he discovers these laws in a milieu of a very structured world and he discovers a very structured science, right? Einstein comes along in 1920 and he discovers a tweak to Newton's law saying, hey, yeah, your laws are right, but you have to um, adjust for it when the speed of light, when things move at the speed of light. But still, Einstein was still deterministic, right? It was still, you could predict objects. All right. So this entire worldview comes from scientists who are hanging out with other scientists, not really in nature per se, but among themselves in a world that's very structured and they come up with a structured view of the world. Now, it is true that you can predict the earth, right? You can predict all these objects. You can fire a projectile, all this stuff we can do. But what ended up happening was in the 1960s, specifically 1957, there was a profound question that was asked that, hey, if the world is so deterministic, then um, it, it goes against another set of laws called the laws of thermodynamics, which were founded in the 1800s, 200 years after Newton. Those laws said that that life actually goes into a state of complete equilibrium and disorder. I mean, total entropy. So the example I gave is if I um, in a beaker, in a in a in a beaker, and I drop some ink in, what do you see happen, Tom? It just distributes evenly, right? Right. That's called the second law of thermodynamics, which says everything goes to total state of entropy. Basically, everything moves to randomness. Okay. So eventually, that blue ink gets spread everywhere, right? And um, that means everything goes into its highest state of disorganization, right? It's not like the ink all stays together. It goes everywhere. So this was a big conundrum because what this said was, wait a minute, if there's so much order in the universe and you have planet going around a sun and you see all these galaxies and we see ourselves, God, we're organized. We're not like disorganized, right? People take books. It seems like when you actually look at nature, things are highly organized. Why are there even planets? Why are there stars and all this stuff? Because they shouldn't exist. If the Big Bang took place, everything, it, it, there should just be dust in the universe. And we don't see that. We see massive amounts of organization. We see human beings building cities and we're violating the second law of thermodynamics. So what ended up happening, Tom, there was a very interesting experiment that was run. And it's actually a physical chemistry experiment, chemistry experiment. But the example, the way I like to think about it is imagine people took in a, in a big room and they put a bunch of white ping pong balls, thousands of them circulating. And then they put the equal number of black ping pong balls and they're all randomly circulating, right? So they would reach their natural disorder. Everything's random. And if you were to look at that room, what color would you see, Tom? You'd probably see like a gray, right? If they're all moving. But what occurred in this chemistry experiment was a similar experiment like this. I'm giving the ping pong balls as a chemical species. They noticed suddenly out of all this randomness, order would appear. Like suddenly every second you would see just black and every next second you'd see white, black, white, black, white. It's not supposed to occur. These are random events. How is that out of randomness 
order appears. It doesn't make sense. In fact, it turns out the entire universe is actually that. It is only in a rare case you have these perfectly beautiful systems, like the Earth spinning around, which is a case that Einstein and Newton solved. But most of the universe is in total chaos and disorder. And once in a while, some fluctuation happens and you get order. And that is what I talk about in System and Revolution. It's a self-organizing system. So this is why our movement's so powerful, Tom, because what we are actually saying is by understanding this principle, what you're saying is when Tom Woods raises his consciousness and he becomes aware of this process, all the processes we're talking about, you become a fluctuation in this disorder, Tom, and it will give rise to order. You do it, Bob Smith does it, Jeffrey Thornton does it, and Sandy Garifano does it, which means really consciousness itself is a fluctuation in the space-time continuum, if you want to take a big word like that. And out of that, each person raising their consciousness, it's so clear for me to see something is going to come out of this that we can't even predict. Bob Smith would always ask me, oh, what's the future? What does the end look like? And I say, Bob, that's not how the universe actually works. That's the old model. You see, the old model of looking at the universe is this Newtonian, Einsteinian way that we are the gods, we control stuff. And if you look at that view of the universe, Tom, that's why all of these political movements come in. Whatever the movement is always top down. We're the political party. We're now going to create utopia, right? Or we're the central party or we're the uh, founding fathers of America. We have the constitution. You know what I'm saying? It's all this structure. But when the reality is the universe is actually highly unstructured and it waits for these fluctuations. So if we understand that, and that's when the great things actually occur. So that is why it's my opinion that our movement is a fluctuation in the continuum, which means our movement is educating people. It is not the end. It is the means. It is you raising your consciousness and an individual. I mean, think about all the profound stuff that's occurred throughout history. People were working, as I talk about, you know, in the course as hunter gatherers running around killing woolly mammoths, right? That was a right. certain behavior of human existence, a certain. And then one day out of some fluctuation, someone takes up, they create a plow or they, I don't know, an animal happened to show up and they maybe petted a deer, right? And domesticated or a wolf. And then we domesticated animals and we, and, and that instant, that fluctuation suddenly created farming and agriculture. That was an innovation. And then we were living and that innovation gave rise to these very structured societies, kings and queens. This is my land. I mean, it went from a hunter-gatherer society where you didn't own land, where you didn't even conceive of property to a world where you now conceive property ownership. Think about that. And then some one day someone said, oh, I can create a steam engine. Oh, I can create assembly lines. Then we went from the agrarian society to a whole another world of organizing labor, putting people in industrial things, giving people a salary, a wage, right? Creating a capitalist and worker relationship. Pretty amazing. So when you look at the oceans and all these systems, they are actually self-organizing systems. And most of the universe is highly disordered. So one little fluctuation here can give rise to something we don't even know. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, Hansel Stedman, who's a fraternity brother of mine, um, he made about, I think, 10, 15 years ago, a profound discovery. He, he came from, a, he was a great athlete at MIT, his both of his brothers had muscular dystrophy. So he was really intent on understanding muscle. And he did a very interesting study. And he found out that there was, if you take a primate, they have the jaw muscle. There was one point mutation in that in the in the primate's jaw muscle that opened that the jaw. And that gave rise to a larger brain, which he has shown gave rise to humans. But it was one little fluctuation, one point mutation in one little DNA sequence that gave rise to a larger, it basically opened up the jaw so a larger brain could come out. So the epigenetic phenomenon you're talking about is epigenetic says, if you want to look at an orderly model, I have these genes, I'm going to have this disease, woe is me, right? Very deterministic, right? I um, 
I'm brought up in this family, therefore I must be, my father's a billionaire, I get to be a billionaire, right? These are very deterministic concepts, philosophically. And that's still the world that we live in. We live in this world of complete manipulation and, you know, okay, I'm going to create the left, I'm going to create the right, and I'm going to create this dialectic, and I'm going to manipulate people. That's what they're doing. Our movement is totally antagonistic to all that. We're saying, no, you have to be that fluctuation. You have to raise your consciousness. And when you do that, and John Medlar does that, and Jeremiah does that, we're going to create a, a different different wave that can completely transform everything. Just like that one little point mutation did. So the reality is it's not like you need a whole bunch of people to go into equilibrium. Does that make sense? It's one little event can have a profound change on everything. And so this is actually quite liberating when you think about it. It makes you realize one individual or a small set of people raising their consciousness, just no different than people hunting and gathering. Someone said, wait a minute, I can make a plow and I can plow this land. I can plant a seed and I grow crops. That completely transformed all of humanity. That instant, someone figured that out. And the other thing, Tom, is what's really, really interesting that I, I, I wish I had time to study is there appears to be communication among quote unquote inanimate objects. So when I told you that there's suddenly all these white balls spinning and all these black balls spinning together, and suddenly they, it looks like they communicate among each other. And then you have all black, all white. And they've noticed this in what's called the hundredth monkey phenomenon. And they see this in nature. One monkey figures out how to crack a coconut halfway around the other island. Some other monkey figures it out. They don't know how this occurs. So what I'm saying is what we're trying to do with our movement is recognizing this. We're saying, hey, what about if we actually educated people on this? What a self-organizing system is. What kind of monkeys do we become then? You know, that us raising our consciousness to that. That's what our movement's actually doing, Tom. And it's a and and but that is how the universe operates. So when one person, I mean, when you learn to meditate, when you eat a certain food, when you think a certain way, I mean, they say you have to be very careful with your thoughts. I really believe this, you know, as you think you become. So when people are negative, 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 you know, that's why when I look at our movement, someone says, well, I don't know how that's going to work, whether we can do it. Well, you make it happen. You know, our thoughts create reality because these thoughts are very powerful. What they do to our mind, which itself is a universe. So one thought coming can affect your whole being. That's my view. So in meditation, for example, what you learn to do is you actually learn to watch these fluctuations. You sit quietly and you're just equanimously observing your universe, you, and you're observing all all these crazy thoughts that come. And then over time, you learn how you can go to a very deep state and actually deposit a thought and manifest it, you see? Which I think is what we are doing as a movement. We are raising our consciousness. And and you can see, Tom, if you look at everything that occurred in that hearing, I mean, all the shit's taken from our all of our stuff. Anna Polina just ripped off our stuff. So what they're doing is they know our movement exists. They're actively concealing it because it's very powerful what we're doing. But um, yeah, the universe is a very, I have a very good friend of mine who works at Woods Hole and he and I have talked about doing some modeling with Cytosol, but the universe is a system of systems of systems. And one little change somewhere can create a you know, whole bunch of things elsewhere. And that's why when they try to model the climate, it's like completely retarded. Excuse my language because yeah. they're assuming that the climate is this mechanistic. I mean, there are so many wild events that take place in climate. You have polar directions. You have the fact that the entire solar system is moving around the Milky Way. I mean, you have so many dynamics when the when our solar system moves through the arms of the Milky Way, that affects different cloud patterns. To the think that you're going to associate CO2 with this as the central endpoint is going to that Newtonian model, Tom. And it, it it's accurate only under certain cases, but it's not broadly accurate. Well, be great to be able to perceive at some time what are the factors that bring all those black um balls together you know is very, it that's is a very a certain, yeah it's is a it very a, good is, it a, is, is it an affinity you know i would, would begin to look at things 
you know, like, you know, beyond magnetic to, you know, some form of affinity, you know, when you're beginning to, and that's why I'm really looking and, and I meditate every day too. And I'm just, I'm just looking deeper and deeper because it's sort of like, as you can't think it because all your thoughts, primarily your thoughts are based on things you learned in the past. So it's like, how do you be in the present? And there's open there's up only one way to do that, Tom. You have to learn the power of observation equanimously. Mm -hmm. And it's a very powerful thing because when you observe, maybe I should teach this as a course, equanimous observation. Great. Yeah, because when you do that, you actually can heal yourself. Mm -hmm. There's something that happens to the body when you equanimously learn how to observe it. You, When you become an observer of you, different biochemical reactions occur at a very fundamental level. Why don't we do that? Maybe we should do a special, maybe we should do that as a special Saturday thing, Heather. We will we will teach a meditation course, not maybe not the two Saturdays from now. We'll we'll make that as where people really learn to observe their body as a system at a deeper level. One because of the things that I, I noticed too is that on that is so when when I meditate in the morning, what I do is I practice breathing, but I also use a device where I can really watch what's happening, you know, and how you control emotion, which is measurable off heart rate variability. Yeah. And the, and the vagus nerve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Heart math. Yeah. Yep. Heart math, folks. It works. You know, and it's, yeah. uh, I like it for, for meditation. So if you're drifting out of here or there or where you're going, you know, you know, when you're in a state of coherence or you're not. Yeah. You know, and so there's, there's, so eat, the heart math stuff is still deterministic, Tom. There's a couple of steps beyond that. Oh, I want to learn it. Yeah. So what happened was when you look, forget the religion called Buddhism, a lot of these religions actually hurt people in many ways. But what Buddha was really about, Buddha was actually one of the first great scientists. In his last lecture, what he discovered, it's, it's a really profound discovery. He discovered that the key to understanding you is the sensations on the body, the sensations. Right, the feeling. Yes, the actual sensations. And it's really deep because when you realize that you can have all these abstract thoughts, but ultimately we're in this physical body and we're feeling things, physical feeling things. Like you try to sit down or anyone to just sit quietly and you'll see you have an itch here and this here and the pain here and you, you know, you want to get up and oh, I, did, I didn't do my, you, you, all these just, I mean, it's like, it's like a wild horse, right? But what Buddha discovered was that, um, and I don't think he's got enough credit for this because the religion got in the way, is that what he discovered is that the sensations that get deposited on your physical body occur through your lifetime. You know, you're sitting there and simple example, you uh, remember a beautiful warm day when your father who you love took you out after, um, I don't know, playing ball with you to get some ice cream, okay? People remember the taste of that ice cream. The You know, you have the senses, the five senses. You remember eating the ice cream, the taste of it, and you associate that with your father, right? You grow older, let's say as a woman, you meet a man and you associate love with that food, okay? Someone taking you out to food. These these are very deep sensations. Alternatively, you are sitting on the side of a road and you see a horrible accident take place, right? Where cats running across and horrible accident take place. That event deposits in your body and it may deposit in physical parts of your body. And you associate that sensation perhaps with the seeing of a cat or some event, okay? And so what he, I think he revealed was that the sensations in the body, you, unless you become a, you, the reaction is you associate these sensations with something you don't like. Oh my God, I don't like the sensation of a screeching noise, right? Because it reminds me of that accident. Or you associate the sensation of the ice cream touching your tongue. You see these physical sensations to something positive. So you either you crave the positive sensation or you have an aversion to a squeaking noise in this case, okay? And these sensations are in your memory. So as you grow into adulthood, etc., all different sensations drop and you're not aware of what's going 
going on. And these become part of you. So the method that uh, it was the last lecture that Buddha gave, it was called Vipassana. And what he discovered was that there is a methodology that you can use, very simple. You don't need a guru, you don't, you know, but you can observe sensations on your body in a very particular way. It begins with observing the breath, the natural breath, because I've used every technique, you know, we can discuss. But what's amazing about observing the natural breath and observing sensations, you go beyond the guru, you go beyond the spirituality. And I've done these meditations 10, once in a while I take a retreat, I've done it for 10 days where you completely go into isolation. I've done it with triathletes who run 100, whatever the 100 mile triathlons. They say that meditation, meditation is harder than running a triathlon, but it is quite profound because you are contending with you, <laughs> nobody else. And you're just trying to observe these sensations. And it takes you to a very, very different state of consciousness. Now, what we've done with Truth, Freedom and Health, we don't have the experiential component. We have it. We want you to meet people. Heather and I've talked about bringing that in as an experiential component, because you will find out those nine principles we teach occur during that observation of you. You have the input, the output, the transport, the conversion, the the storage, the gold, the sensations, everything occurs. So I think it's a much more visceral way of teaching people the concepts. Let's do yeah, that. I, I agree with you, you know, because you, you take a look at it and in, in the moment, we all have a certain attitude, emotion, sensation, pain, and all of it has been, you know, put on the time track, right? Yeah. 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 And how it's uh, much of it can be even be found, you know, in, in a cell, you know, yeah. those feelings and things well, of that nature. What's, or, what's interesting, Tom, is I have a book that I need to finish up called a connection. I think I discovered the mind-body connection in the body. Mm. Yes. And I have a new architecture of the body that's that there are parts of your body anatomy that the medical community just says, ah, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. We have magnets in our brain. Did you know that? We have millions of small magnets in our brain. We are composed of piezoelectric crystals. So when you put it all together and every cell has a skeleton, a cell is not flat, right? A cell is as a three. How does it have that? It has a cytoskeleton, like just like our body has a skeleton. Right. And the cytoskeleton is connected to every other cytoskeleton. So one of the theories that I have is I do not believe in the concept of electrical waves going through our body. I believe everything is sound waves. In fact, communication between nerve cells, are, I believe, are sound. And the, the entire universe is sound. Your body is moved by sound. It's a mechanical wave. It's not an electrical wave. Um, anyway, we should get more into it. But this is why we need we need everyone to grow this movement out because it'll give me a little more time to go finish that. <laughs> no, I, I kind of agree with you. And I think that, yeah. you know, like this discussion today, I just had to get on and talk to you about it. Because when I you take a look at how things are going now with like with uh, AI, chat GPT, Phenomenon. It's all part of that deterministic world, man. That's it's right. About, because basically, right. Chat GPT is basic. I mean, it's it's Chat GPT is actually. I mean, I have the first patents on that stuff, and we're about to go sue Google on this. It's a whole nother thing we'll talk about. But okay. Chat GPT is only as good as the training data. Not the questions. Yeah. The, well, the right. data that they gave it. Yeah. In mm -hmm. fact, someone types in Chat GPT who invented email and says Ray Tomlinson because that's what they gave it. They didn't give it our data. So we're creating right. these deterministic worlds. The whole goal of AI is to make a machine, make you into a machine. The whole goal of AI is to take data and be predictive. All this data analytics is all about an orderly simulation. That's why idiots like Scott Adams is a complete doofus. You know, he says, well, I think the world is a simulation. Yeah, because you don't really understand science. The real science relieves that there's massive disorder. The elites want beautiful order because then they can control everything. Right. This is the profound thing. They want a total organization. They want Elon Musk to own SpaceX, own Twitter and Tesla because they got one guy 
who they can use to control all of us. It's about control. But the universe, profoundly enough, Tom, is not controllable. It is absolutely in chaos. And once in a while, order emerges. That's actually the natural state. The natural state is it's creative chaos is going on. And once in a while, a thought comes out and you get order. But the most of the universe is disorder. It's not beautiful little planets spinning around and beautifully mechanistically understood little automatons. And if we can get other people to understand this, I'm telling this discussion, our movement is the movement of the time because it is that fluctuation that can move this. And one person can help Tom. I mean, think about the times in human history, there have been one Buddha, one Christ. Now imagine if we create enlightened beings through our movement, that there's a thousand Christs, meaning beings who actually understand how the universe operates. A guru, meaning someone who dispels darkness, but it's, it's connecting heaven and earth. And that's what our movement's doing. So the problem was when the deterministic world came out and said, oh, the world is very orderly and structured. The religious world also came up and antagonistic to that world because they said, wait a minute, if everything is so ordered, where does God fit in? So they didn't like that. So religion opposed this thing called science. But what I'm saying is we don't have to have this dialectic between science and religion. When you look at it in this different way, you actually realize that you don't, that both can coexist. This order of a fluctuation, which you may call God, right? Where you do this creative force and you can have order in some rare cases. So this dialectic has come because of this lack of understanding that the, that order emerges out of disorder. And wisdom comes out of that. Exactly. And what that means is every person's life is quite profoundly unique and magical, which means one person understanding this is like a light unto the world. And one person thinking, oh, I'm just part of this machine and that's what I got to be. I got to work here and I got to follow the left or the right. I got to choose a lesser of two evils. You're part of the machine. You're in the matrix at that point. And that's why it's so fucked up watching this Senate hearing, Congress hearing today. I mean, it's like now the Republicans are attacking this, the guys at Twitter. We get to say, and you can see, Tom, they were, everything was rehearsed. This woman, Anna Polina, she'd gotten her lips pumped up, as Jenny Smith said, you know, was acting very, <laughs> you know, you know, look at me, look at me, stole our diagram and is act. I mean, she didn't say shit. She knows about, and she knows me, follows me for two years. Didn't say a peep. So you can see like Gore Vidal said, these politicians are just ugly actors, yeah, right? Absolutely. Well organized. They're doing it for the photo shoot. They, then they will go raise money off of it. And they see, I fought for you. And, and, and then all the Republicans will support them. Oh my God. It's all beautifully like automatons. You say first it was a January. It's like, it's all deterministic. That's why when we attack these guys, Tom, they're so fucked up because we're coming out of nowhere and we're exposing them. We are that fluctuation. Tomorrow, uh, there's a guy called Barnes. Another guy, his name is Viva Frey. I think you may have seen him. You know, I'm so, talking about Chris. So he reached out to me and he wants to do, he's got about a half a million followers and he's an attorney. And I shared with him and he goes, wow. He goes, we got it. So we're going to do a big live tomorrow. We may, get, we may have like a million viewers, but um, we're going to talk about this. Fantastic. But yeah. The more because the, t- the timing right now, the th- you know, like the threat of AI, you know, people are beginning yeah. to talk about it. It's like when AI is taking Wikipedia as a source of truth. Exactly, you know? man. And it is going to be part of the AI is Wikipedia. Well, ChatGPT, uh, the kids will be writing essays based on nonsense. Oh, Climate absolutely. change is here. Yeah. But what's interesting, Tom, is I did a podcast you should get called What is AI? I did this because, you know, I used to be in the AI world for about 20 years. AI began the day Henry Ford created the assembly line. What is AI? It is about taking a being, carbon-based or otherwise, teaching it, training it to do a task really well over and over again. So when we created the factory assembly line, I was just told to put a bottle cap on something. Someone else was told to twist it. That's AI, man. That was done with carbon-based beings. Now we're doing with silicon-based beings. China finds it cheaper to use carbon-based beings. It is, that's called slavery. So AI began, you know, in the 1900s. AI began when they did um, pyramid 
pyramids. So all they're doing is transferring consciousness, this mechanistic consciousness to a robot. So in 1993, I when I used to meditate a lot, I got up in the middle of the night and I was doing my research at MIT and AI. And I had this wonderful dream where I was sitting across from this being and I was asking, and it was a robot. And I had to ask myself, what is difference between me and that being? One day, think about it. They will create something that looks like you, may talk like you, may have skin, and it may be able to completely replicate you. The question is, what are you and what is human? And the conclusion I came to was, in order to be truly human, have you experienced loss of love or have you experienced death? That is the fluctuation. And if you have, you know, gone through that or questioned what is death, gone, you know, that is this very unique point that converts you to being a human. Why are you here? Right? Not mechanistically, but I believe they're going to create complete humans that will. And, and so when you look at that, what it reveals to you is, okay, I am born as a Catholic. Therefore, my son will be a Catholic. And therefore, I will think like that's that's fucking AI at that point. That's robots. I am born as a Hindu. Therefore, I will be a vegetarian and I will eat like this and I will think like this and da 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 da. So human beings are being created every day in these as AI robots. They're just being fed stuff from somebody else, parents, culture, society. But when a person has to sit back and think about that and reflect, that's when they become a human being. Until then, it doesn't matter whether you're in a carbon-based or silicon-based, it's still a robot. I, I agree with you. And, and I think that people beginning to look at systems, like I'm looking out the window right now, and um, I've always had a, a deep attachment to, to nature from life experiences. You know, talk about death. Well, I, I died in a helicopter crash in Vietnam. And in through that experience in coming back into the physical universe, I was be able to see interconnection between an actual energy flowing from plants and this and sunlight and all of that to see the whole experience. So it's always had me being a, a hyper curious person from that day on. So raising questions like this, natural for me. What, and, but Tom, finding what, what? the finding the answers though is like where where you just began to go. I'd like to learn more because. Well, well Tom, here here's why. Here, here's here's I don't believe we in individually one individual can experience our fullness of their humanity without all of us are also experiencing that. Like, I don't think we fully know what it means to be human. So what that means is your state of consciousness in some ways is limited to other people's. That's why we're all in this together. What's that? Mahayana? I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, I, I think that's it, a term that yeah, they use. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, we are all in this. I'm, I'm just saying that you, your level of consciousness is limited by the level of consciousness of other people. So we're all, frankly, in this together, if we even want to be selfish for ourselves. Because the more we raise our consciousness, I think our human humanity unfolds to levels we don't even know about. I mean, just go look at when Columbus, Go. everyone should go read Columbus's diary. Suresh, let's get it and put it on the dashboard. So Columbus, it, his diary is up there. You know, Columbus, Christopher Columbus, He le his diary is documented from the time he leaves the port in Europe all the way till he meets these Native American Indians. And, you know, he was given a charter, you know, whatever land you see of so many miles, it's yours. That's what I think Queen Isabella told him. And remember, he grew up in a feudal system, hierarchy. He comes across and he says, and I think in October, 12th, he says, I have landed on these shores. And he goes, these people are the most beautiful people I've ever met. They're truly the children of God. They give everything free freely. They have no sense of ownership. They're naked. They all live together. And he said, I've never seen people like this before. And then he says, the next <laughs> next breath, he goes, with 50 good people, I will subjugate all of them. Yes. Okay. The state of existence they were living because they didn't have ownership or property. It was hunter-gatherers. Was I don't think we can fully understand what that means. The glimpses I've had was when I was growing up in India in a 
village where people, the, the Indian Tamil language does not have a word for my really. It's really our. I mean, you'd walk in the streets barefooted in the middle of the night. People would invite you to their homes. Um, the Mongol, the, not the Mongols, uh, Mongolians, you know, they're nomads. And when they used to set up one of their yurts and someone would come and eat their food, they'd say, oh my God, someone ate my food. They would be actually so happy. Wow, someone enjoyed our food. So we have no, we've lost all connection to other human beings through this very mechanistic world we've created. Now, it's hard to go backward. We have to go forward to go back into the future. Does that make sense? And the only way is raising consciousness, which cannot happen just in theory sitting under a tree. You have to be a warrior. You have to be a healer. You have to be a scientist. You have to be a freedom fighter. You have to be all these things. And in all of these cultures, being a warrior, being a healer, being a a scientist, were all one. They weren't separated. Homo luden, homo faber, and homo sapien were one. Thinking human, playing human, and and working human. We're all one. In the Western world, we just have homo sapien, but it's homo faber, homo luden, and homo sapien. So we have split the human being. We fragmented the human psyche. So that's why when we say truth, freedom, health, notice I don't use an and. We don't put one. We say all of them together because you have to be a scientist, which is what we want to train people to do. You have to be a fighter for freedom. You have to be a warrior. You have to speak your mind and you have to take care of your own body. You have to do all three. So one of the things I've looked at too, is that when you operate from a position of truth, freedom, and health as a being, that's a frequency. Yeah, It's a frequency to be operating that. When you get into power, profit, and control, it's it's more of pulling, it's a pulling in force. It's wanting more, wanting more, wanting to be more solid, wanting to be more solid. And the more solid you are, the less fluidity there is. You know, that's like, I love being in the ocean and just letting the currents take me. You know, it's an amazing experience, you know, that kind of a thing. And um, the more you live in that environment of truth, freedom and health, they just feed each other. Exactly. And and Tom, it's a wave wave that gets sent out. And that wave has already been sent out. And this year, in November and December and January, I have seen these people squirm. You can see their silence towards our movement says it all. It's not like what they say. It's what the fact that we are pointing out big elephants in the room and they don't know what to do with it. So that's why I'm very, very optimistic where we're at. But it's really important now with all the new people coming in, we get not just myself and a few people, but others rise up to the leadership level and we give people others. So we go into the learn, teach and serve model. You know, I I, I live in this home. I love the place. It's a very small house and you can see this art architect, the way he built everything was small rooms, but all the rooms are proportionate. You know, it's a great writer's home. And what's interesting is I don't like a lot of shit. And recently, you know, a lot of stuff, physical stuff, you know, uh, and I, I, it has physically come. So I'm getting rid of a lot of stuff. And the more you get rid of, it's very healing, you know, and the whole concept of accumulating, 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 right? This is what power, profit and control. It's a culture of accumulation. Okay. I'm a millionaire. Now I want to be a billionaire. I'm a billionaire. Now I need this. Now, I need, where does this end? There's no end to it. So anyway, we're, we're at a very important point in history. And maybe what we should do, John, is take this conversation. If you don't mind, Tom, we could probably share this with others. I think it'd be oh, a good go conversation just to share this with people. But that's I- what our movement is about at a deep, 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 profound level. What you really find out is that science is quite magical. <laughs> it's like order emerges out of disorder. And they just want us to look at this one part of the universe where everything is so orderly and structured. That leads to AI, that leads to automatons, that leads to left and right, that leads to total control. But 
once you look at the larger universe, you realize it comes out of, and this was a work of um, a, a Progroni, you know? He, it's interesting enough, Progroni was born in the year of the Russian Revolution, and then in 1957. But what's unfortunate is a lot of his scientific stuff is not talked about. I mean, because of, I think because of the radical nature, what his, he won the Nobel Prize, but no one wants to talk about it mm. because it basically exposes the fact that the elites want to run, they want to push the mechanistic science. I mean, what if people learned, oh, my thoughts can change the world? Or people changing consciousness. That's radical. That's the true radical. But that's why the United States was so amazing. If you look at the works of the enlightened founders, many of them were reading a lot of the ancient scripts of India. You know, they were from the enlightenment and they were, they knew that the first amendment connected heaven and earth, which is basically saying I could speak, open up my throat chakra. I could say what I wanted to say and I could have ideas and connect with my creator. I mean, this is an amazing experiment. That's why I'm so pissed off with what this country really represents and how it's being decimated. And that's why those of you in America, those of us here, it's like, you don't get this chance in a lifetime. Suresh will tell you, you if you say stuff against Gandhi in India, you're thrown in jail. I don't know if you know this. You can't say, there's no, there, the defamation rules in Britain are so low. You can't say anything against the queen. You can't write articles, you know, the you know the libel rule. I mean, it's quite amazing. That's why when I was watching these politicians today, I said, are you freaking serious? It's all bombastic. It has nothing to do with they want to change. Put the mirror up to Congress. Congress is the one who created the unholy alliance with big tech. So anyway, I think I think I think we should put this out there, John. We'll we'll do this. I think it's it's really the core of the core of the core, Tom. And I think I people agree. yeah. And that you know I'd love to hear your you know you're going somewhere. You know, when we were talking about, you know, not just being in the moment, you know, and, you know, you were beginning to talk about the feelings and uh, how that all, you know, how how we as something that is um, not of this come down to, we're not of this world. Well, you are a wave and you are a particle at the same time. Right. You exist and you don't exist at every moment. Mm -hmm. That is the reality at, at a very, very deep, deep, deep atomic level in some sense. And how we can create the future. Yes, through you know. your raising your Conscious by self-reflecting and understand truth, freedom, and health. I, I haven't shared this. I don't think I've shared this at all. It literally came out of this deep reflection. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was at a at a at a I traveled all over India and I was at this one very ancient temple. And I just they had certain books there, and I said, Wow, Batha Pitta Kapha, Truth, Freedom, Health, or Transport. It, it just came like that. It wasn't something I thought about, Tom. It just came, it emerged. And I think that's it's called the property of emergence. You have to work hard and then boom, it just happens. And it happens to all of us. So the truth, freedom, and health, transport. I mean, we've we we have the jewels. Suresh always says this, we sort of have the keys to the kingdom. It's the issue is, do we want to practice it? So the practicing, one of the things we're going to start doing, Tom, is when we want people to get on the ground, it, the, I finally figured out the strategy to everyone listening. We're going to have a little flyer and a little card and everyone, we got to make it easy for everyone. You can go knock on your neighbor's door and you can say, hey, my name's Tom. I live down the street. I just want to invite you to this wonderful event we're having next Thursday. You can join online or maybe you can come to my house and we can join too, whatever, whatever way people feel comfortable. Oh, why? Oh, I'm going to teach you or you're going to learn about natural immunity. That'll be one of the sessions we do. You're going to learn how your body is a system. Basically, we, we serve people, Tom. We don't have to wait to win an election. You don't have to wait. Like we have all the knowledge. I'll teach you how to innovate. I'll teach you the scientific method. We just start serving people now. So that's what that's our fun. movement is going to evolve to. So we will make these. So you just, uh, and to crypto, but you're, you're on a boat, you meet another boat. Just give them a card. Hey, look, why don't you come and learn? And we're going to have six little topics. We'll rotate cover. I will initially teach it. 
we'll have the video, but any one of you will be able to teach it at the orientation because I, I need all of you guys to become educators. And when you teach, you learn. So people say, so when they see our logo, Truth, Freedom, and Health, it looks a little bit like the Red Cross logo. They said, oh, those guys, I learned how to heal myself. Those guys, I learned this. The equity of Truth, Freedom, and Health is some people that I can trust and they do stuff out of pure service. If I want to be a warrior, great, but we're not going to push you, but we are going to do the noble service right off the bat. And that's the opportunity we want to give everyone. But John and I were talking about this. We want to do this door to door. We're not selling, by the way, you know, um, you're, we're not saying that you're going to go to hell if you don't follow us or anything, right? right. Um, but it's a very powerful technique because when you meet people door to door, you do it in your neighborhood. It forces you to get out. It forces you to be vulnerable. And I think we do it neighbor to neighbor. But it's just a very simple invitation. Inv invite to learn the scientific method. Invite to learn what is innovation. Invite to learn how to take care of your body. I don't think anyone does that. Everyone wants to invite you to, you know, wait for after you're dead, you know, and then we'll take you to heaven. Maybe we want to look at the here and now. All right, everyone. It's 10, 10. Good number. 1010. It's a good time to end this. <laughs> All right. That's All good right. getting together with everybody. These Thursdays are great. Tom, thank you very much. Well, you know, you're, you're being of service and everybody, you know, that's involved is being of service. And that's what love is all about. That's what it's going to take to make this world whole again is how do we, you know, we attract all those, those black uh, ping pong balls to come together, you know, in a form uh, that's harmonious. Yeah. And by the way, those are called chemical clocks, Tom. Ah. So they're out of randomness. You get this beautiful perfection that happens. So we are that disorder creating the fluctuation to create an order, which we don't even know what it's going to be. And it's okay. It's not like you have to determine this stuff. That's the deterministic mind, right? Oh, I need to know what, no, the goal is you raise your consciousness. Suresh raises consciousness. What evolves out of that is going to be something quite profound and beautiful, but we don't have to predict that. You see, that's the automaton AI model. I'm going to predict everything. I'm going to know what's going to happen next and next and next and next, right? That's how you control. That is control, right? Wanting to know what everything is going to happen. And if you follow that thought, then it says that, you know, um, this is the only way that the universe can operate. It is, like, the, no. it is the way the universe operates. It is the that's fundamental right. universe. And if you want to resonate with nature, you focus on advancing your consciousness, understanding how the universe operates and leave everything else to that resonance, right? Absolutely. Period. All right, everyone. Thank you. Chris, did you have a question? Chris Bradley. Yeah, just a quick comment. I always uh, thought about the original sin of the of the Bible of, of eating of the fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil and wanting to be like God is, is very analogous to what you guys are talking about and that you know wanting to be like god on om, om, omniscient knowing all things right and so i think well i think i think that's a deterministic model i think what we're saying is a little slightly different what we're saying is raise your consciousness you don't know what it even means right we I'm don't know what the, the AI, AI, oh the ai is all about being it's like an, it's an analogy and an analogous kind of thing where they want to know everything they want to be like god exactly never be exactly. god right the ai model is about a structured, organized, deterministic reality where I know exactly what Sandy Garfano is going to do tomorrow. If I, what she's going to buy, gathering enough data on her that she becomes an automaton. I can eventually take her data and put it into another human being. And I have a avatar of Sandy, right? It's basically dehumanizing every individual to a finite set of deterministic actions. But the universe is not that determined. People do wild things. People do things you can never imagine. Something happens and they, I don't know, they suddenly learn how to sing, you know, or they learn how to play an instrument or they completely change course, you know, you know, the song Amazing Grace comes out of a guy who was a slave ship owner, right? And has some experience and he writes that song, right? Gives up all of his slaves. So there's profound things always taking place in the universe. And that AI model can never 
model that. ChatGPT says that Ray Tomlinson invented email. He cannot appreciate the fact that a 14-year-old kid did it. You say it's all deterministic. It's all automatons. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Thank um, you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, everyone. I hope um, this discourse didn't bore everyone, but sometimes we just had to go with this. I think it was, it was, I think it was an important discussion. Thank you.